Have you or someone you know ever had a hard drive crash? Or maybe your cell phone or tablet died, taking all of your pictures with it. You've thought about backing up your data, but all of the plans out there cost too much money for just a little bit of storage space. Well, now there's a solution. Got backup? That's right, Got Backup will allow you to back up unlimited devices, up to 6 terabytes of data for only $9.97 a month. And that's not all. You can earn commissions by referring friends and family too. Got Backup is the only data storage center that allows you to earn income on your referrals. Check out Got Backup now. Log on to john-jeffers.com. That's john-jeffers.com. Log on now. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Today, I've got a couple of videos that I did recently that I wanted to put on the podcast to do them the audio version because there's just a lot of really good information in these. The first one that I'm going to play today is 21 Items that will disappear first in a collapse or long-term disaster type situation. These are the small, sort of inexpensive items, the things that could possibly be used as, as barter items as well. And as I say in the video, it's usually the small things that can mess up even a perfect plan. So just paying attention to some of these small things and making sure we have them on hand could be crucial in a survival situation. In the second part of the show today, I'm going to go over the 10 items the Red Cross or FEMA recommends that we have in a disaster situation. And as most of you know, prepping in the beginning is sort of like that. But as you f go further along, prepping becomes FEMA or the Red Cross on steroids. We take their suggestions, which are pretty basic, and we build on those. But it's a lot of really good information, so I'm going to play a couple of those. Also, over at the bugoutlocation.net, the membership website, I'm putting together a lot of these types of videos because I'm working quite a bit on the Prepping 101 course. I'm working on some bug out bag videos, some bugging out videos, bugging in, getting home, all of these, these really important aspects of preparedness that we need to take care of. If you are not a member of the Bug Out Location, you can go over to the BOL.net or the BugOutLocation.net. Have a look at that. See if it's something for you. I've got a bunch of prepping courses over there. I've got a bunch of downloadable resources in various aspects of preparedness. And also, it's just a great way to help support the show and help me continue to do what I'm doing. Again, that's over at the BugOutLocation.net if you want to check that out and have a look. All right, so with that, let's get into the first topic today, which is supplies that are going to be priceless, supplies that you're going to wish you had if you don't have them in a collapse or long-term survival situation. I needed that. I needed that, too. When we think about something being priceless, it's usually something like fine art, family heirlooms, or even classic cars. From a preparedness and survival perspective, it could be your firearms, your water filters, or even your food storage. While all of this may be true today, things change quite a bit when you start thinking about what everything would look like in a collapse. The smaller, inexpensive supplies that we take for granted on a daily basis could become very hard to come by and therefore priceless. Also, these different prepping items that could disappear and become priceless could also become useful if a barter system develops. None of these require refrigeration and they're all easy to store. And with barter items, it's usually the smaller things that are going to carry more value. The tobacco, the lighters, the batteries, the meds, the tampons, the condoms, the toilet paper, the list goes on and on, and even ammo in some cases. 
In this video today, I'm going to go over 21 different items that I think will disappear in a disaster situation and become priceless. Now, with this list, there's probably a hundred more that I could add, but if you have any ideas or any thoughts, make sure and leave a comment below. And if you like this video and get some value out of it, make sure and hit the like button and also subscribe to the channel. All right, so let's go over the list I have here. And the first one is cash. And this is really dependent on what the disaster scenario is and how everything is unfolding. In a hyperinflation scenario, cash would basically be worthless. But there are a lot of other situations where cash would become priceless because nobody carries cash anymore and nobody has cash. So if you have some, you put yourself ahead of everyone else. Now, there are a couple reasons, I think, for this. And the first is the initial panic, the run on banks, the ATMs will not be working and people trying to withdraw cash are going to be out of luck. So I think cash especially in the initial stages of some sort of collapse, is going to be very useful. So next I have antibiotics and prescription medications. And this is for several reasons. The first reason being the disruption of supply chains the, and the pharmaceutical production in the first place, meaning it doesn't get made and then it doesn't get to the store shelves. The second reason being in a societal collapse is that looting is going to be a major issue. So this means that the medications that are in the pharmacies that are at the hospitals, they are going to be non-existent. I think looting, this may be one of the first areas that people go to. And the third one I have here on the list sort of it goes into the same thing, and that's over-the-counter medications. Now, it's hard to say how quickly these will go, but I would say in the first few days, the stores are going to be mostly empty. And I think this includes the over-the-counter medications as well. People that rely on these that can't afford or don't want the prescription medications are going to go for these first. And the looters and rioters are also going to understand the value that they will hold in a post-collapse type situation. So medications, both over-the-counter and prescription medications are going to be priceless and pretty hard to come by. Okay, so next we move on to alcohol, and these aren't in any specific order. And with alcohol, I think I would probably include other vices as well, whether you're talking about weed or cigarettes or anything that people will need to cope with a situation. Alcohol, though, I think will be one of the first things to go, whether that means liquor stores getting looted, grocery stores getting looted. People want their vices and people are going to need those. And even as a situation progresses, they will be searching out how to get those by any means possible. Alcohol is one of those items that are multi-purpose. They can be used for first aid, cleaning, depending on the type of alcohol, bartering. Like I said, they're a vice. Some people just need those. So having a few bottles of alcohol may be something that you want to do. So number five here, I have books. And when you think about it, all of our information is online, on computers, on our cell phones and tablets. And in the event that the internet was down people would probably lose their minds and not be able to have access to this information that is so readily available these days. So I could see books and guides and magazines and, you know, even just for the entertainment factor, I could see all of these going away fairly quickly. So I think getting those guides and books and all of those, building up your preparedness library is a very important thing to do right now before it comes to that situation. Okay, so number six I have here is sort of an obvious one, but it is food. And with this, don't forget your pets as well, because I think the non-perishable foods and even the pet food will disappear relatively quickly in a collapse situation. People will be rushing to the store and getting whatever they can if they feel like there is no end in sight. So having these is super important. Now, in preparedness, we've probably, most of us have got the food storage part of it taken care of for the most part. We could probably do better. 
But the pets is something that a lot of people forget. And I think in a collapse situation, there will be a run on the stores. Maybe they do go after the toilet paper first, but eventually people are going to be going after that pet food as well because they want to take care of their furry friends. So I think pet food and human food as well is something that will disappear very, very quickly. Number seven I have here on the list is car parts. And this is something people don't really think about. They don't think about people going and looting Napa. But this, I think, will definitely be an issue, especially when you're talking about fluids like the brake fluids, the oil, the antifreeze. These things that we sort of take for granted now and maybe we have a jug or two in the garage, these will be really hard to come by. You've also got other things like hoses and clamps and tire repair kits and jumper cables and all of these things that we need to take care of now because in a collapse situation, it may be nearly impossible to find these things. So I think car parts and accessories are very important for us to have stockpiled now because they could become non-existent in a collapse type situation or at the very least really hard to come by. Number eight is outdoor supplies and camping gear. And this is not because we plan on bugging out into the middle of the woods. All this outdoor gear is useful in preparedness. You've got the camp stoves, you've got the sleeping bags, the backpacks, the tents, all sorts of different camping supplies that might be useful. So I think camping gear is one of those things that is going to disappear first and it is going to become priceless in a post-collapse type situation. Moving on here, we have number nine on my list, which is candles and flashlights. If the grid is down, people are going to need some way to light their homes. And even just the little tea light candles could disappear pretty quickly. A lot of people probably have a flashlight or two laying around the house. Preppers, probably closer to 10 or 20 flashlights lying around the house and a bunch of candles. In preparedness, the lights out supplies and the power outage supplies are very important. So we should all have these, but it's one of those situations where you can just never have enough. They're low cost and inexpensive enough. Why not have a few lying around the house? And along with the candles and flashlight, I move on to number 10 here, which is batteries and battery chargers. Just about everything these days is electronic and takes batteries. And if they take the 9-volt batteries, the AA, the AAA, the C or D batteries, we need to make sure we have all the batteries that we need and then some for all the different supplies we have, whether that is weather radios or flashlights, different ways to charge cell phones. That's where these small chargers come in, even up to the larger power stations that are going to give you quite a bit more energy. And if, if you have the ability to have them solar power stations, that's even better because it's replenishable energy. But making sure you not only have the supplies, the flashlights, the radios and things like that, but you have to have the batteries along with those. But batteries, flashlights and candles, I think will be one of the top targets in a collapse type scenario. At number 11 here, I have cleaning supplies. Cleaning supplies are really important for sanitation reasons. And also items like bleach can be used for a few different things, purifying water and things like that. So cleaning supplies is really important. It's crucial that we try to maintain our health as much as possible. And that's where sanitation comes in. When it comes to sanitation, I would probably also include things like paper plates and plastic silverware, trash bags, things like that, that if you don't want to wash dishes, you have the ability to just throw some of that away. Although you will have to think about how you're going to remove that trash. But sanitation and cleaning are super important regardless of what type of disaster, emergency, or collapse scenario you're talking about. And number 12 here goes along with the cleaning supplies and sanitation, and that's personal hygiene. For the ladies, that would mean tampons and pads and things like that. 
For the men, there are supplies that are maybe not so critical. You've got the deodorant and toothpaste, which isn't necessarily a life-saving supply, but taking care of your teeth could be really important. In a collapse situation where hospitals and dentists won't be available, having a toothache can be debilitating. So taking care of your teeth is super important. Not taking a shower for a couple months could also not just be smelly, but could lead to health problems as well. So toothpaste, toothbrushes, dental floss, shampoo, soap, all of these things will become very sought after. And some of these are small enough they would make a great bartering tool if that situation did arise as well. So personal hygiene is one of those things we don't think about a lot as far as survival is concerned but it is absolutely important to think about. So number 13 here sort of goes along the same lines as the trash bags, and that's aluminum foil and Ziploc bags, the coffee filters, the things that we use on a regular basis, but don't really think about when it comes to supplies and things that we're going to need. As I said in the beginning, it's usually the small details that ruin a plan. So having aluminum foil, having these extra Ziploc baggies and, and even coffee filters can be used for water filters. All of these little supplies that we don't really think about could become priceless in a post-collapse situation. Next here, I have tapes and adhesives, and I suppose in this category, I would put cordage as well, whether you're talking about twine, paracord, or wire, anything like that. But items like duct tape and super glue, I think those are going to go relatively quickly, and those are things people will be looking for in a collapse-type situation. Maybe not initially, you know, the first week or so, but eventually as people start to grasp what the situation is and start to figure out what they need to do, what they can and can't do, that's where the, the duct tape and the adhesives and the cordage come into play. Number 15 I have here on the list is extra clothing. And this is one where I'm sure you have a lot of extra clothing hanging in the closet but we need to make sure it's the right clothing as well and have extra clothing for when the, the clothing gets old. These days, I don't think clothing ever gets the chance to get old for most people. They're out buying new clothes and new shirts. And on top of that, some of the clothing made these days just isn't built to last like it used to. And this goes for more than just clothing. This is uh, just about everything these days. And along with the clothing, I think, is the ability to mend that clothing. Like I said, it's not the highest quality these days. And if we get a pair of pants that are ripped or socks that need to be mended, we need to be able to do that. So clothing and I think sewing kits in themselves will become very valuable in a collapse type situation. The needles and the thread will, you know, probably could become good bartering supplies or just your skill and your ability to use those could become a good bartering supply too. If somebody needs a pair of socks mended, maybe you trade them for a few eggs or something like that. But sewing kits and clothing, I think, are those, those things in a post-collapse type situation that are going to be very valuable. At number 16, I have baby supplies. And this is really dependent on you and your situation. But if you do have children or you think you might have children, or you are expecting to have children, this becomes one of your top priorities. The diapers, the baby wipes, and baby wipes can be used for a few other things as well. The formula, so many different things that are going to be an absolute necessity in a collapse type situation that you're gonna to wanna to have as much of those on hand as possible, and other people are going to be searching those out as well. So this could, this, the shelves could be empty really quickly when it comes to baby supplies. And in turn, down the line, these would become absolutely priceless for any mother, father, or family. So baby supplies are one of those things I see as, as disappearing first in any sort of collapse or small-scale disaster situation. Uh, it won't take long for these to disappear. Next on my list, I have fire starting supplies, and this sort of goes along with the camping supplies that I mentioned earlier. 
But it also includes like the stoves, the fuel, whether you're talking about firewood, you're talking about denatured alcohol, or even the sterno. But fire making supplies like the Bic lighters are going to be absolutely priceless in any sort of collapse type situation. Boxes of matches and Bic lighters would make a good bartering supply, as well as just something for good faith, right? You've got a neighbor that needs something, you can give them a Bic lighter. But fire starting is one of the critical elements of preparedness, especially as you, you think about the grid being down. And if you live in a colder environment like I do, you're going to need to be able to heat your home. You're going to need to be able to cook your food. So fire starting is something that we think about quite a bit in preparedness, but a lot of people take for granted. So number 18 I have here is first aid supplies. And honestly, that ranks towards the top as far as items that will become priceless and items that are really important in any sort of disaster or collapse type situation. These are going to be very sought after and needed. Again, in a collapse type situation, you could be talking about how the supply lines are severed and the manufacturing is non-existent. And all of this leads to uh, severe shortages and makes these supplies, whether you're talking about gauze pads or whether you're talking about trauma supplies, these are going to be extremely priceless in a situation like that. For the past nine years, you've been listening to John Jeffers talk about prepping, politics, and anything he thought you should know about. Hello, I'm Sydney Jeffers, and John is my dad. You know, some people will take the chance to unlock infinite possibilities to change their future. Some will not even try at all. Which one are you? You see, my dad started selling data storage for people. He thinks being a prepper means backing up and saving all your data on your computers and cell phones. Being prepared means not just on the lookout for a disaster coming your way, but for everyday life. It's a fact that people have had their hard drives crash, computer and phones stolen, even lost or damaged. There are lots of companies offering to store and save your data, and they mean to charge you a pretty penny for it too. But with Got Backup, you only pay $9.97 a month for six terabytes of storage. My dad says that this is the best value in the industry, so you owe it to yourself to be his customer. Don't be the person who waits until it's too late when you've lost all of your important pictures, videos, music, paperwork, and data, and say to yourself, I should have turned the key and got back up. So, intelligentsia, the question remains, which person are you going to be? Go to www.john John, hyphen, J-E-F-F-E-R-S, Jeffers, dot com. Again, www.john hyphen Jeffers dot com. And be my dad's customer. You'll be glad when that day comes. So moving on here, the next one I have is tools. And these can be gardening tools or shovels. These could be tools to make repairs around the house are the Harbor Freight and the Home Depot type items that will become absolutely essential in any sort of disaster type situation. You've got the manual tools like the hammers, screwdrivers, socket sets, and then you've got the cordless tools. If you have a solar option like the drills and the saws and things like that, if you need to fortify your home in a post-collapse type situation, you're going to want those the hammer and the nails and the screws and the drills and all the things that will allow you to do that and even just repairs around the home. But tools like shovels and drills and even the hardware like screws and nails are going to be one of those items. The hardware and nails could be good for bartering, but they are going to be one of those items that does become very sought after in a post-collapse or collapse type situation. And sort of along the same lines as the gardening tools, I think number 20 here, which is seeds, will absolutely become priceless. Seeds could almost become a type of currency if a barter system develops. And it's not only important to have seeds, you've got to be able to, you've got to have the skills to actually grow those seeds and produce food with them. A lot of people have this idea, you could just grab some seeds, throw it in the ground, put a little bit of water on it, and then in a couple of months, you're going to have tomatoes or zucchini or whatever you planted. 
And that is just not the case. Those of us that are gardeners know exactly what I mean. But seeds are critical in preparedness because at some point, regardless of how much food we have stored, eventually that's going to run out and we are going to need a way to grow our own. Now, I saved 21 here for last, and this is ammo. And the reason I saved it for last is because if you have all of the stuff that I listed today, you're going to need a way to protect it. And I think that's where ammo comes in. I do also think if you are talking about a post-collapse or collapse-type situation where the manufacturing is non-existent and the supply lines are down and the looting and rioting, I do think ammo would be one of those first things to go. It is important to have because if you run out of ammo, that firearm you have basically becomes a brick. And ammo would eventually be one of those things that is very sought after. Now, as far as bartering is concerned, it's really, I've heard arguments for both sides of the story, why you wouldn't and why you would. But it would be a valuable bartering supply, just like the alcohol, though. It really depends on the situation and if it's in your best interest to barter that or not. But ammo, I think, is definitely one of those that will disappear fairly quickly, will be something that gets looted in those those initial days and something that the longer a situation goes on, the more valuable it will get. Okay, so that's it for this list here today. Uh, like I said, I know there are probably a hundred more items that we can put on this list of things that are going to become valuable in a collapse type situation and things that could become even priceless. And the whole reason for this video is to get people to start thinking about these things now. We can stock up a little bit here and there and we won't have to be that person going out to the grocery store when it's getting looted or we won't have to be that person that goes to the grocery store and can't buy anything because we don't have a little bit of cash on hand. And this is basically the point to preparedness in general is to prepare beforehand so we are not out there doing the things that most of the population is going to be doing. And we are putting ourselves in a better situation. All right, so a lot of stuff in there to think about. That was 20 items, and honestly, there's probably hundreds more. Uh, we need to think about these things and things that are sort of disaster-dependent as well. A member of the Survivalist Prepper group had mentioned how oxygen absorbers and mylar bags and things like that tended to disappear during the pandemic and even the masks and things like that the hand sanitizer that we know of those types of things started to disappear but we need to think about those things beforehand that way we are not the ones rushing to the store we are not the ones searching for something on amazon and none of it can be found because everyone is panic buying so just think about those little things that could really disrupt your preparedness plans the things that we don't think about on a daily basis, but when we absolutely need it, we absolutely need it. So with that, let's go ahead and get into the second part here where I talk about the items that the Red Cross recommends. And then I go into a little bit more about all of these and sort of look at it from a preparedness perspective, uh, more than just the have a little bit of water stored, have a little bit of food stored. Like I said, preparedness is sort of the Red Cross and FEMA on steroids. We take everything one step further. Red Cross. Yeah. Racket. In today's video, I want to talk about some of the recommendations from the Red Cross and how as preppers or anyone interested in preparedness, we sort of take that and build on that. Regardless of your political affiliation, regardless of your geographic location or your personal finances, it's hard to say that things aren't getting a little bit crazy these days. It's hard to say that there aren't certain situations that we should be preparing for. I've always said that prepping is like the Red Cross recommendations on steroids. We take it further than they do. And, and some people even take it further than that. How far you decide to take preparedness is a personal thing, but it really feels like being prepared for a week or so may not be enough at this point. It really feels like, to me anyway, that we should be preparing for at the very least a month. You've seen 
in the past how emergency response can be lacking at times if something is a larger scale than just a few days. Katrina is the big one that comes to mind. So like I said, in this video, I'm going to go over some of the recommendations from the Red Cross and then add to it from a preparedness perspective. I'll also be going over some extra things that I've learned in my decade plus of preparedness, uh, some tips and other supplies that the Red Cross doesn't necessarily recommend, but they are important to have. Now, the items listed in this video today, the recommendations from the Red Cross, are really just the basics, the, sort of the starting point to preparedness. Over at thebugoutlocation.net, we go into quite a bit more detail as far as water storage, as far as food storage, all of these different things. We've got courses set up over there. We've got resources, preparedness resources to help you dig deeper into each of these. So if that's something you might be interested in, I'll make sure and leave a link below in the description and you can head over there and check that out. So the first one I've got here is water. And regardless of what situation you are talking about, water is your lifeline. Even if nothing happens at all, water is something we need on a daily basis. So water is one of those things that's both really easy to do and really hard to do at the same time. Water is fairly easy to store long term, but you need to have the space to be able to do it. So you've got to get creative depending on your living situation with storage containers and where you're going to store that water. The Red Cross recommends one gallon of water per person per day in your family. And if you're preparing for a few days, that's really not that hard to store that much water. If you're preparing for a few weeks or even a few months, that's where the challenges come in. There are a number of different storage solutions and, and places you can store water. You've got the water bricks that are low profile. They're easily stackable. You can put water in two liter bottles. You've got five gallon or four gallon water jugs that they sell at Walmart. Again, those are fairly easy to stack. And with the storage containers, if you are not able to store a large amount of water because you live in an apartment or a small home or you've got you know, a really large family, also remember that filling up the bathtub is a quick and easy way to get a lot of water. They have the water bobs and a few different companies make these liners that you can put in your bathtub and store 50, 60 gallons right there. So if you do have a little bit of lead time, and you are able to fill that up before the water gets shut off or before the grid goes down, that is a great way to add to your water storage. So with these different options, it should be, for the average person, it should be pretty easy to store 50 gallons of water or so. And again, depending on the size of your family and depending on the length of the situation you're planning for, that could be the amount that you need or it could be severely lacking. And this is where the alternatives come in, like trying to find water, understanding where water is uh, available in your neighborhood, understanding where water would be available in your house. Those places you don't necessarily think of. You've got the pipes in your house. You've got garden hoses. You've got, it, if there's anything in your neighborhood, as far as streams, lakes, rivers, things like that, where you could have that emergency water source, you need to think about those things as well. Now, finding water is really just part one of water procurement. You need to be able to clean that water as well. And this is where water filters come in and understanding what each filter will do. I've got a few courses over at thebugoutlocation.net that go into everything that I'm talking about here today, uh, so I'm not going to get into detail about what certain water filters will do, but just understand that some of these, like the Life Straws or the, or the Sawyer Minis, these types of filters are going to get certain things, but if you want chemicals, heavy metals, and things like that, you're going to need a much more expensive and a much more durable water filter. So think about that as well. If you're not able to store the amount of water that you feel like you need, you need to sort of think outside of the box with this and figure out what your alternatives might be. Think about the places in your home and think about the places outside your home where you could actually get some water. But after you do that, then you need to think about cleaning that water. So 
Water, regardless of the disaster scenario, regardless of what is going on, is really important to have, even from something as basic as a power outage that may last a day or two to something that's much larger in scale and may last a number of weeks. So the next one that the Red Cross recommends here, and a lot of these emergency agencies do, is having cash on hand. This is really important because if the grid goes down, if the electricity is not available and you need to go out and get more supplies, the ATMs, the credit card machines, all of these things may not be working. And if there is something that you need to go out and get, uh, you will need to have cash on hand. It's also recommended that you do carry cash in smaller denominations, smaller bills. That way you are not going out to get, say, a case of water bottles or something like that. And all you have is a $50 bill and you have to give that $50 bill up for that case of water. So it's important to have cash on hand, especially in the shorter, the, the natural disaster type situations where Local businesses may remain open, but they won't be able to process credit cards. And these days, everybody's got a card. Very few people actually have cash. What I do is try to keep at least $50 in smaller bills in my wallet at all times. And you just never know when a situation will come up. Maybe it's not a disaster. Maybe it's just a power outage and you're trying to fill up your gas tank. Maybe your local store is having issues and you need to get certain things for dinner. But having that cash on hand just gives you that ability to still make that transaction when all of the modern conveniences are down. Now, as preppers, we talk about gold and silver quite a bit. And, you know, the, the value of cash just declines on a daily basis. But this is a situation where cash would be super important, especially in the very beginning of some sort of disaster situation. Now, we all the, the whole reason for preparedness is to make sure that we don't need to go out at three, four days afterwards where everybody's just being crazy and the stores are being looted and ransacked. But in the very beginning, there may be a window of opportunity where we can go out and get some of the things maybe that we don't need, but we have the opportunity to build up and get what we want before things really go crazy. So, Cash is one of those things that it is important to have some physical cash on hand and not rely on the digital ones and zeros in your bank. The Red Cross also recommends non-perishable foods, and I believe their recommendation is anywhere between three days to a week. And non-perishable foods are basically anything that doesn't require refrigeration. You've got canned foods, you've got box meals, soups, uh, freeze-dried meals as well. Foods that have a long shelf life and would be easy to make in a situation where the grid was down in some sort of disaster situation. If you have storage limitations, like I said, if you live in an apartment or a small home, the freeze-dried meals are a pretty good solution because most of those come in buckets and can be, just like water, can be easily organized and stacked and come with calorie-packed foods. Now, they're not the most healthy for you, but when you're thinking about canned foods and boxed meals and foods like that, they're not all that healthy for you either, but... They are shelf-stable and non-perishable, so they are important to have in a situation where the grocery stores might be closed for a week or longer. And when it comes to food stores, you've also got to think about the water needed to prepare those meals. So if you are making spaghetti, it's going to take a lot more water than it would to, say, some of these freeze-dried meals. You just put a cup or two in there, and you've got a meal ready. Canned foods like the fruits and vegetables may have water in, included with them. And also with a small camp stove or if you're making something indoors using Sterno, canned foods can be prepared fairly easily and without water. You've got soups that may just take one can of water for one can of soup. You've got some soups that don't require any water at all. So think about water as you're, you're building up your food storage as well and thinking about all these different foods that you might be eating. Now, my personal recommendation when it comes to food storage is a week or so is just not enough. And now, again, this depends on how far you want to take things. 
But I would try to, at the very minimum, go for 30 days. And 30 days worth of food storage is really not that hard to do. Like I said, if you're limited on space, you could go with the freeze-dried foods like we sell at the SHTF shop that come in the buckets and they're easy to prepare meals. You can throw them in a closet or somewhere out of the way and you've got food that is going to last 20, 25 years that you can sort of just set it and forget it. It's also important if you are storing, say, 30 days worth of food, you need to make sure and rotate through that food. Make sure it's food your family is going to eat and make sure that the the food doesn't get stuck in the back of the cupboard and then you go to reach for it and it's far past its expiration date. Now, with canned foods, I've done a video just a while ago talking about foods that never expire. And regardless of what the best buy date says on the can, canned foods will last indefinitely, depending on what's in it. Some of the high acidic products may not, but a lot of these cans will last far beyond what that date says. So just because it says it's two years expired or two years past its best buy date doesn't mean that it needs to be thrown out. But nonetheless, it's better to practice good inventory rotation, the first in, first out method, and make sure that food gets used. If your family doesn't eat asparagus, then don't go out and buy 20 cans of asparagus. If they don't eat Brussels sprouts, the same thing. Store food that your family eats. But food storage is fairly easy to do and can be done over time. So it's not like you need to go out and spend $500 and get all your food at once. It can be done a little bit here and a little bit there. Every time you go to the grocery store, get a couple of extra cans. And in no time at all, you'll have a pretty good stockpile of food to survive a disaster that lasts anywhere from a couple days to a couple months. So next, the Red Cross recommends flashlights and headlamps, and it's also sort of a kit that you can put together. I've got one that I made. It's called I call it my Lights Out Kit, which has quite a few of the things that the Red Cross recommends in it. And again, as being a prepper, uh, a few more that they don't. But it's really important to have flashlights and lanterns, even candles. Uh, there are a lot of different options these days, but once the sun goes down, you are in the dark and there are going to be a number of different reasons why you're going to want a little bit of light, whether that's just moving around the house or whether that's finding different supplies. It could be that the event or whatever the whatever caused this situation happens in the middle of the night. So you're going to need to be able to sort of get everything together and doing it with a little bit of light available is going to help you out. Also, if you've ever gone to the bathroom and closed the bathroom door when it's dark, it's going to be hard to get the job done without a little bit of light. So visibility is just a huge thing when you're talking about something that may be just overnight or something that could last longer than that. It's also important not just to have a flashlight, but a number of different flashlights in different parts of the home, in your vehicles, anywhere that you might be when something happens. And like I said, there are a lot of different options. They've got the Lucy lanterns. They've got LED, all sorts of different LED lights that you can choose from, some rechargeable, some not. Now, headlamps to me are far more versatile than a flashlight, and I probably have more headlamps than I do flashlights because you can put this on your head and you still have two hands to do what you need to do. So whether you are talking about a get-home situation, a bug-out situation, you're trying to work on things around the home, having a headlamp, you're going to have more options than you would by maybe putting a flashlight in your mouth and, and working on things. Uh, headlamps are fantastic. And the lanterns will give you that all around. They will sort of fill up the room with light rather than it being directed light. So think about those things as you're thinking about how you're going to light the house or how you're going to light a room, how you're going to be able to see things once the sun goes down. So flashlights and headlamps are a, a very important supply to put in your lights out kit or your power outage kit, whatever you want to call it. But uh, very important to have those and have those in a number of different places around the home and in your vehicles. 
And sort of along the same lines as this, that something that could go in your lights out kit, are hand crank radios, shortwave radios. And these are important in the beginning of these disaster scenarios because you may not know what's going on. And you want to be able to get as much information as you possibly can. You can listen into the NOAA radio channels, the weather radio channels. You can get information from the government resources. Now, I say in the beginning, because as this goes along, this is going to become a little bit of generic information, information that you may already know that's just getting repeated. There may be some new stuff from time to time, so it is important to monitor that. But getting that word of mouth information, this is where ham radio, amateur radio, GMRS come in because you can get other information from other people that are going through something that may be the same or may be different than what you're going through. And they're going to have information that may be more detailed than what you're getting on an emergency broadcast. But hand crank radios are important. And I think the hand crank aspect of this is important as well because you're ta- if you're talking about a grid down situation, you want to be able to power that radio. And if you don't have extra batteries, which you should have, and we'll go into that next, uh, being able to manually get that powered up is going to be important. And they do make, I've got uh, the radio that I have is a Voyager crank radio, which has got a small solar panel on it, which doesn't do a whole lot, but it is something. It's got the crank on it, and it's also got batteries. So this radio has got three different options. Again, there are a lot that you can choose from, but this one is the one I decided on. So as I alluded to, the next one here is batteries. And these days, we have so many more options than we used to. Back in the day, it used to be the alkaline batteries that if you left them in the flashlight too long, everything would get corroded. These days, that's no longer a problem. With the advancements in battery technology, the lithium-ion batteries and even the nickel batteries are all much better than those alkaline batteries. And batteries, we should have extra batteries for all of the different supplies that we have. So if we have that crank radio that takes batteries, if we have different headlamps and flashlights that take batteries, if we have ham radios that will need batteries, we need to make sure that we have extras of those and quite a few of them. Rechargeables are the way to go these days. They make double A rechargeables, triple A rechargeables. They make larger lithium ion batteries that are rechargeable. So if there is a possibility to get batteries that are rechargeable for some of these different supplies that you have, that's the route I would go. Now, that's not to say don't get, if you can get some other batteries that aren't rechargeable, it's not to say don't store those as well, but make sure you have those batteries and the rechargeable batteries in your lights out kit. Now, the one caveat with the rechargeable batteries is you're going to need to be able to recharge those. So that is where solar comes in and being able to have energy to recharge those batteries. And one way to do this is the power banks. You've got the Jackeries, you've got the Opez power bank. I have one of those that works pretty well. I've got my solar, my DIY solar setup that I did a while back that I could use to recharge some of these batteries. Now, these smaller Opezes, these smaller Jackeries, or like my DIY one, they are not going to power a, a small space heater for a long period of time or a refrigerator for a long period of time but they would be good to recharge these batteries. They would be good to plug a lamp into, to get some of these smaller appliances, to plug a tablet into, to plug a phone into, to get these smaller appliances recharged and have them last you longer than you know a day or two. So having the batteries and having the ability to recharge some of these batteries and having those power banks, I think are one of the most essential things to have when it comes to preparing for something that Could be a few days or could be a few months. Okay, so moving on, the Red Cross also recommends including first aid supplies in your emergency kits uh, because the immediate access to medical care could be limited, could be non-existent after a disaster or emergency. So it's important to have some of these supplies that we might need for immediate care, minor injuries, even traumatic events where 
going to the hospital may not be an option, at least in the immediate. These kits, and I say kits because we should have more than one first aid kit around the house. We should have first aid kits in our cars. We should have a couple of different first aid kits, a basic first aid kit, a trauma kit, because you just never know what will happen. You've got the minor injuries, like the cuts and abrasions, burns, things like that, the bandages, the antiseptic wipes, the adhesive tape, all of these smaller first aid supplies that we may need to use on a daily basis. And then you've got the trauma supplies, which with the trauma supplies also comes learning how to use these. But these are important as well, because there could be life, depending on the disaster situation, there could be life-threatening situations that we need to deal with. If it's a tornado or a hurricane or an earthquake, having the skills and the supplies to help out in a situation like that, whether that be your family member or a neighbor, puts you one step ahead of the average person. So having these supplies like the chest seals, the SAM splints, the tourniquets, things like these are great, but you also need to know how to use those. Along with the first aid supplies, you've got to think about medications as well. This could be prescription medications, and this could be the over-the-counter medications. In any sort of disaster situation, you want to make sure infection and things like that don't become an issue. Diarrhea, because your diet may be changing. Things like those that, that may become an issue, you need to have ways to combat that. So there are over-the-counter medications that can be bought. There are pain relievers. There are stomach ailments relievers and, and thing, uh, just a lot of different things that we need to think about. So it's not just the Band-Aids and the tape. It's the, the over-the-counter medications as well. And again, sort of along the same lines, you've got the hygiene and the sanitation. Like I said, you don't want infection to become a, a big issue in a situation where it's already uh, hard to handle. So maintaining your hygiene and maintaining sanitation and doing those things, well, one, it'll help you down the line, and two, it'll keep you out of a situation possibly where you have to seek out medical help, and that could be a dangerous situation to have to venture out into the unknown depending on what's going on. So having a well-prepared first aid kit, and a few of them, like I said, is really important. Again, over at thebugoutlocation.net, we've got courses that go into that as well. And the Survivalist Prepper podcast, we've got a quite a few episodes on first aid. So the next one here is something that quite a few people really don't think about, but is absolutely important, especially if you're talking about a natural disaster or a get-home situation, and that is important documents. And this could be identification cards, this could be insurance, financial policies, medical records, contact information, legal documents, anything that you would want to be able to grab at a moment's notice and either take with you or possibly give to somebody that if they need to, if it's a search and rescue situation. I also recommend having pictures of all your family members. You can do this on your phone if you like, but I think it's also important to have physical copies of these pictures. If it is a search and rescue situation, you may want to give a picture of a family member to one of the authorities so they know exactly what they are looking for and make sure it's an up-to-date recent picture. Now, like I said, you could have these on your phone, and if there is somebody that is looking for people, maybe they just take a picture of your picture, and that's fine. But there could be situations where your phone is not charged or you don't have the ability to charge it, and you would need to have that physical copy ready and available, even if it's just a printed black and white picture. It's also important to put all of these important documents in one place, whether you're talking about a, a folder or in a safe. I personally have a lot of my important documents in a fireproof, waterproof folder. It could be a house fire, it could be flooding. There are a lot of different things that could go on and paper can get damaged very easily. So it's important to keep them prote as protected as you possibly can. And the Red Cross website has some, some documentation on what important documents you should have. And we also have a couple over at thebugoutlocation.net. But just be thinking about that as well. This is something that sort of gets overlooked because it's not the food storage. It's not the water. It's not the first aid stuff. 
but it could turn out to be one of those things that is super important in any disaster situation. Now, one more that I've got here that a lot of people don't think about because the advancements in technology, uh, a lot of people don't have paper maps anymore. A lot of people don't even know how to read paper maps anymore. You've got your cell phones where you punch in that you're the address of where you're going or shoot, you can go even go to the search engine and just type that in and it'll it'll guide you through the whole process. But it's important to have paper maps, local paper maps of your area, because You just never know when you're going to have to get from one place to the other and you're going to have to and you're not going to have that the cell coverage. Maybe the the cell towers are down and you don't have the GPS and you need to get you need to find the safest route from point A to point B. And to do that, you would need paper maps. If it is a situation where you do need to bug out or evacuate, paper maps are going to give you a good idea about what sort of terrain you may be having to cover, some of the safest routes that you may be able to take, some of the alternative routes that you may be able to take other than the highways. So having the paper maps, the physical maps, is is really important whether you are talking about a bug out situation or you're talking about maybe your family getting home, having these maps in if your children are away at school having these maps in their cars, making sure they understand how to read maps, even just the basic maps, not necessarily the topographic maps, but that's also a good skill to have as well, understanding uh, what everything means on a topographic map. But even if it's just the basic maps, make sure your kids understand how to read these. Us older folks, we tend to take that for granted because that's how we grew up. We grew up reading these maps and we understand them. Uh, Just make sure your children understand those as well. But maps are definitely something that is overlooked a lot, but absolutely something that is important to have in your disaster preparedness kit or or kits all around the house. But they are definitely something uh, that is very important. All right, so that's just a few things that the Red Cross recommends and a little bit a little bit of a prepper spin on it as well, sort of kick it into overdrive. It really depends on what sort of disaster situation that you're you think you might face. Again, like I said at the beginning, how far you decide to take this is really up to you and it's a personal decision. My thought is that the FEMA recommendations, the Red Cross recommendations are great. They're a good starting point, but it isn't quite enough. Maybe it's just me, but when you think about all the possibilities of what could happen in the coming months or coming years, it just makes a whole lot of sense to be prepared as you possibly can for whether you're talking about a natural disaster or whether you are talking about something that's larger, man-made, civil unrest, war, so many different things that could happen these days that I think it's just, it's it's an insurance policy and it's something that we all should strive to do. I think if more people were prepared to handle even just the smallest of events, you wouldn't see some of the chaos and the things that happen, the things that unfold in the aftermath of, of something that's, maybe it's just a few days and maybe it's longer than that. That's a wrap. Crisis averted. So that some of that may seem like pretty basic information to some of you, and some of you it's a goldmine of information. It really just depends on how far into preparedness you are, but it's all really critical stuff, and even those of us that have been doing this for a while, it never hurts to go back to go back to the basics basically and just relook at some of these things that way we don't forget about them and we don't get sidetracked with other things, but a lot of really good information. As I said earlier, over at the bugoutlocation.net, I'm working on some of the courses over there and uploading some of the resources that sort of tie into the videos that I'm doing over at the bug allocation, whether that's bugging in, bugging out, getting home, the prepping 101 stuff, some of the things in preparedness that you know are a little bit more advanced. I'm working on putting all of those together. And you can check that out over at the bugoutlocation.net. But with that, I think I am done today. Appreciate everyone listening in. If you do have any comments, any questions or anything like that, just reach out to me. My email is dale at survivalsprepper.net or dale at thebugoutlocation.net may be a better one. But reach out if you have any ideas, any thoughts, uh, anything like that. Just let me know. 
But uh, with that, everyone, I appreciate you joining in today. Take care and prepare. We will talk to you all later. Bye.